everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast, where we have smart conversations about prenatal care, labor and birth, parenting, feminism, politics, all of that and more. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which is available everywhere books are sold, including over on my website, where I'll be happy to sign it and send it out the door super fast. As you probably know, I'm also a registered nurse who worked in the labor and delivery trenches for about 20 years, and I'm a mother and a global maternal health advocate. That last hat is what I'm focusing on throughout the month of May, advocacy and politics to make maternal health better, safer, happier experience for all women. Because in case you haven't noticed, maternal health outcomes here in the United States are kind of appalling, especially for women of color. There aren't enough options, we focus on the wrong healthcare interventions, and there aren't anywhere near enough affordable providers who offer women the custom care they really need. Women's health is taking a beating with this administration, both here in the United States and around the world, and it's time that the group of us do something about it, right? Now, May is the one month of the year when moms get a lot of attention because of Mother's Day. I saw an article a couple days ago on CNN called Mother's Day Fast Facts, and here are a few of them. Excuse me, guys. Day two of a cold. I'm a little bit froggy today. Okay, it says, in 2018, the National Retail Federation estimates that U.S. consumers will spend $23.1 billion celebrating Mother's Day. Yeah, that's billion with a B. Shoppers will spend, on average, about... 180 per mom. Most consumers will give cards, that's 77%. 69% will give flowers. Uh, 55% will take mom out to eat. And uh, more money will be spent on jewelry than any other category. 4.6 billion. Ah, that's a lot of money. Here's another one that I think is really interesting. According to the Insure.com 2017 Mother's Day Index, the various tasks moms do around the house, you know, all the project management, the cooking, the chauffeuring, the, you know, the all of it, everything we do would be worth $67,619 a year in the professional world. That's a pretty good living. And yet, we're not getting paid. And because of that, I believe we're also not getting the respect, authority, and power we deserve. Money talks, right? Especially as we've seen so acutely this year in politics. We're starting off our Mother's Day political theme with a good chat with Carol Sakala, who is the Director of Childbirth Connection Programs at the National Partnership for Women and Families. But before we get Carol on the line, Let's have a quick chat with our sponsor, PrepDish.com. Hi, Allison. It's Jeannie. Thanks for coming on the podcast with me. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So my question that I ask every guest who comes on the podcast, Allison, is this. Who are you and what do you do? I'm Allison Schaff. I'm the founder of PrepDish.com, and I make mealtime fun and easy. So, you know, my prep dish meal plans include an organized grocery list and instructions for doing meal prep ahead of time. It really helps streamline meals for, um, you know, for busy families. 
I love this. I love this, the the concept. I love the menus. And you know what I particularly like is the gluten-free options because I have one of those families where we've got a couple vegans, we've got some gluten-free, we've got, you know, mm-hmm. we've got the gamut. And that four o'clock question, mom, what's for dinner? I love that it's taken care of. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing what a little plan can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, getting it all done on Sunday afternoon is brilliant too, because then, you know, you've got the rest of your week to do your job, get your kids where they got to go, do the whole thing. It's fabulous. Yeah, I always say waiting until five o'clock to decide what's for dinner is like the worst time to be making that decision. <laughs> yeah, for me, the witching hour was always four o'clock. That's when everybody yeah. would come finding mom <laughs> to say what's for dinner. And I would almost always realize, I I don't know. I don't know what is for I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Allison, I really appreciate your sponsoring the podcast. And I know that Prep Dish is a brilliant idea that's going to be really helpful to a lot of parents out there. So what I want to ask you next is this. What is your very best parenting tip? Well, in terms of meals is to always have a freezer meal on hand. So whenever I make something like a soup or a lasagna, I double it up and have some in the freezer. So those weeks when maybe you don't get to your meal prep or you just you need something last minute, it's nice to always have something healthy and homemade in your freezer. That's really good advice because you know what you're going to do if you don't. You're going to do some fast food or you're going to do some junk or you're going to do something that's no good for anybody. That's a really good tip. Well, Allison, thank you for coming on and talking to us. Is there anything else we want to let listeners know? Um, no, just if they want to try out PrepDish, they can go to PrepDish.com slash common sense. And we have two free weeks there. Try it, guys. You're going to love it. I promise this. Okay, Allison, thanks for coming on and chatting. We'll talk again. Thank you. All right, we're back and we're ready to get Carol on the phone. But I also wanted to say one more thing about all those gifts you're going to buy your mamas and the mamas in your life. Candy, flowers, brunch, jewelry, and cards are all lovely. And frankly, I'm a big fan. I love Mother's Day presents a lot. And I love the attention I get for doing the biggest job I've ever done, raising my kids to be excellent human beings in a very crazy world. But what if you could get those presents while also providing much-needed life-saving care to mothers around the world who don't have access to the kind of health care they need? I want you to go on over and check out everymothercounts.org and shop their Orange Rose collection. Every Mother Counts is a nonprofit organization that I truly love that's addressing the global maternal health crisis, both here in the U.S. and in developing countries where most maternal deaths happen. They have a special film series called, <clears throat> excuse me, Giving Birth in America that really tells the story of what women face trying to get health care here at home. And I'll bet it'll bring true for a lot of listeners. Anyway, when you purchase a gift from their Orange Rose collection for Mother's Day, your purchase supports their work. They've got some really cute stuff too, like a super, super cute Solly Baby wrap in orange and white. 100% of those proceeds from your purchase, go to Every Mother Counts. So go check them out and make your Mother's Day purchase really matter. Okay, let's call Carol. Hi, Carol. It's Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. How are you? Great, thanks. Good, good. Um, let's just dig right in. I already you know, read your 
job description that you're the director of childbirth connection programs at the National Partnership for Women and Families. But my first question on this podcast is always this, who are you and what do you do? Great. So I am a long-term advocate, educator, researcher involved in working to advance high quality maternity care in the United States. We work um, a lot uh, at the level of policy, sitting on advisory bodies and work groups. We also do national listening to mothers surveys, and we're just finishing up our first state level listening to mothers in California survey and uh, many other projects and major reports to provide resources to a lot of the stakeholders that are uh, working on maternal and child health. Well, I want to talk more about, you know, your professional title, but what about when you're not on the job? Who are you then and what do you do then? Well, when I'm not on the job, yeah. uh, these days I am a family caregiver for uh, a, adults, a parents that um, have had exceptional longevity and um, a partner. To, uh, we're having our 40th anniversary this year. A proud mom of two young adults. All right. Cool. Um, so you and I have spoken, we've spoken a number of times over the years, whether I was writing for Fit Pregnancy or Every Mother Counts or um, not for this podcast, but I remember I did an episode, I think it was episode 43 with Sarah Fleischfink. It was back in September of 16, and we talked about why the U.S. gets D's and F's in parenting laws. And she's another one of your colleagues, correct, at National? She is. Yeah. Um, so any listeners who are interested in learning more about what National Partnership for Women and, Chil- Women and Families does, go listen to that episode. Um, that was a fun conversation, too, or interesting is the better word for it. Um, let's tell our listeners what you guys are all about. What is the National Partnership for Women and Families about? Sure. So the basic focus is on helping to ensure that women and families can be economically secure and thrive. And that means major work in three different areas. Uh, First, uh, access to quality, affordable health care. Furthermore, uh, reproductive health and rights, and finally, fair and family-friendly workplaces, and that's um, the area that you discussed with Sarah Fleischfink. Right, yeah. Um, So, you know, the press release that motivated me to contact you guys um, was this one, and the title of it was, Women's Health Leader Urges Congress to Act Now to Pass Legislation That Would Help Mothers and Babies Thrive. So... Let's talk about that. What is that legislation and what will it do? Great. Well, I am so glad that you have an interest in this bill that was recently filed at both chambers of Congress, Quality Care for Moms and Babies Act. Actually, Jean, I was privileged to work with Mr. Engel's office to develop the original legislative provisions and language quite a few years ago, and we've supported it ever since. So was that back when you were working with Childbirth Connections? Yes. So we became a core program of the National Partnership in 2014, but were an independent organization based in New York City 
actually going back to 1918. So this is a hundred years of yeah. work <laughs> continuously. Yeah. And um, at that point in time, we were a small organization. And in the lead up to the Affordable Care Act, we were trying to decide what is it that we wanted to fight for um, with all the this uh, very within all this very ambitious evolving piece of legislation. And we decided that we wanted to um, advance, mirror what had been done for child health for pregnant and um, childbearing women and newborns. The CHIPRA, the Child Health Insurance Program Reauthorization Act, had included a very impressive set of quality provisions for child health that led to the creation of the Medicaid core set of performance measures for children Mm -hmm. and also included other provisions. And we decided that was a winning approach and we wanted to do that for childbearing women and newborns because of Medicaid's significant responsibilities uh, for uh, covering that care. As you may know, it's almost half of births in this country are covered by Medicaid. Yeah. So we worked with Hill staff, but they said, oh, we're doing Medicaid expansion in this bill and we'll add an adult core set and then we'll have the children and the adults and everything will be taken care of. So at that, we were very happy to have played uh, that uh, role in advancing uh, the adult course that which did in fact come to pass but we also had major concerns that moms and babies might fall through the cracks that many of people concerned with child health don't really go back see the connections to the prenatal period the early newborn period and infancy and similarly many uh, people who are working on adult health are for example, internists who have really no relationship with this um, area and family physicians, um, unfortunately, who are uh, involved less and less these days with maternal uh, and child, maternal and newborn care. So we felt at that point in time that we needed to move forward and work on a new piece of legislation to um, have the develop a quality, um, core quality measures for use within the Medicaid programs across the country and other um, provisions, including development of needed measures. So that's what we did. And we worked with Mr. Engel's office, Elliot Engel, um, in New York City. And um, then soon Senator Stabenow became very involved as well. And the two of them have really been the leads on this bill, which has been introduced over a series of sessions of Congress. So what is the legislation exactly that was introduced in April? Yes. So this uh, the same uh, provisions exactly were introduced in both the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. And those provisions are completely aligned with the now child corset and adult corset as well. So it's really set up not to duplicate effort and to smoothly fit into um, the work that's ongoing with those two programs. So the key provisions include um, bringing together a multi-stakeholder a group of individuals to make recommendations to uh, the secretary, uh, as the language in the bill, but 
it's really to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and to about a core set of performance measures for maternal and infant health. And um, there's also in the bill a description of what would be optimal characteristics of a basket of measures. So it should cover the different phases of care, include the woman and baby, uh, address, um, have reference to those at lower and higher risk, uh, address different levels of care. So for example, facilities, clinicians, health plans, and also cover key topics such as disparities, care coordination, and shared decision-making. And there's a process um, that's going on now, and this would replicate that process for annually updating and revisiting, ensuring that the measures are working well and still solid, seeing if there are new ones that should be added. There are provisions for creation of e-measures, electronic measures, to uh, reduce the burden of collection and the cost that is involved with manually collecting those, uh, the uh, measuring the performance. And then, um, this is something that we've been concerned with for a very long time. There are surveys called the CAPS surveys. That stands for Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems. Those are experience of care surveys, and they've come to be very influential, um, used at uh, several levels. One is facilities, i.e. hospitals. Another is clinicians and groups, so of medical uh, uh, providers. Uh, and a third is health plans. And all of these are having a big role, but the CAPS surveys really don't map well to this clinical area. There's who, just one patient. Who's filling out patient. the surveys? Who, who is it that's filling so, it out? So it is um, the p- people receiving care got are it. asked to okay. fill them out. Okay, yes. got it. Uh-huh. So these are uh, person-reported experience of care measures. Got it. Got it. Uh, and a number of them are now endorsed by the National Quality Forum. They're, they are surveys, but they are all, now have become performance measures as well. And so this is a way to hold the health system accountable for how are you treating people, are you pro- providing um, services that are user-friendly and convenient? Are you doing a good job with care coordination? Uh, various uh, Are people involved in decision-making, things like that? But in, they don't map well to maternity care, and we, the National Partnership, has an issue brief outlining the need for these surveys to be adapted for um, maternal and n- newborn health. Uh, for example, there's just one patient, and here we have two patients. It's really important, important that care is uh, gets right for both of them. Right. They're, they don't really handle very well. There's a minimal reference to specialty care, and, and it's not clear whether people consider this specialty care or, or primary care. The time frames are wrong. The mm, question about... Um, uh, Pain is, was your pain controlled? And we know that it's not a good idea to completely control pain right. in this population because then you can't push out your baby right. and, and so forth. And it doesn't give women, many women options that they want instead. So there are many reasons why we need to develop um, CAP surveys for this population. And this bill includes provisions for those as well. Well, a CAP survey for specifically for 
you know, the maternal health population for, for moms, you know, it's sort of indicative of, you know, people just haven't been asking women. They just aren't asking them. And if you ask women about their maternal health experiences, you're going to get a huge range of responses from, you know, it was excellent and I had everything I needed to, oh my God, it was the worst experience and I nearly died. And, you know, it, I think that's a big part of the problem in our maternal, our maternity culture is that we haven't asked women. Do you agree? I completely agree with you as a, um, a lead for all the national listening to mothers surveys and yeah. now the PI and the listening to mothers in California survey that's so yeah. valuable. But and when we get away from sad, the survey, right? it's often not happening in the office either. And that's a big issue, you know? Especially because, you know, isn't this bill primarily working to address, you know, really persistent maternal health disparities? You know, that they've been persistent a while, (laughs) you know? That's it. We have a very long history of uh, not being able to close those gaps, although we do have some high performers who are doing just that. And yeah. we know it's, it, it shouldn't be mysterious. We should be learning from them and scaling up um, what some of, some of them are doing. I just wanted to mention, Jean, that one out of um, about 20 well, about 23% of those discharged from hospitals are childbearing women and newborns, yet those uh, groups are getting the generic CAP surveys. So they are filling them out, but it's very questionable whether we're getting usable information about um, their, their care. And furthermore, it's not getting fed back to the maternity units, but to the hospital as a whole and kind of all blended in. So these um, specific surveys would really um, help us to collect and get a handle on and hold people accountable for the kind of care that's being provided to the childbearing population. I have a couple questions specifically about the bill. What is the name of the bill? So the bill is called Quality Care for Moms and Babies. And what are the Senate and House bill numbers? Do you know? Yes, I do. Um, in the House, it's 5457. Uh-huh. And in the Senate, it's 2637. Okay, great. You know, some of my listeners are really active advocates or want to be. And um, before we're done today, and I still have some things I want to ask you about, let's make sure that they know how they can be supportive of this bill. So um, one thing that I was reading about it is it's a bipartisan bill, which for listeners who aren't familiar with that yet, means that it's getting support from senators and Congress, members of Congress, you know, who are Republican and Democrat, but it's only just barely bipartisan, isn't it? Is the bill receiving very much Republican support? So... Um, I need to clarify that. That is bipartisan in the House. There are a couple. It's disproportionate. There are a couple of Republicans on board and um, more um, Democrats on board at this time among the 18 sponsors to date. Mm -hmm. But it is not bipartisan um, in the Senate at this point in time. So one um, extremely uh, helpful um, Thing that people can do it would be to contact their members of Congress, uh, especially if they're Republicans, because it's much easier to have Democrats sign on to this 
However, I think that, I mean, this is not a partisan issue. This is a matter of um, really population health. I, I could yeah, discuss that I length. The, that. The, reason, the reasons why this is, bill is really important, but one of them is that it impacts every member of our society at the beginning of life during a really sensitive window of rapid human development where we cannot afford not to get this care right. And it also impacts 85% of women who will give birth one or more times in their life. So it's really uh, an important bill for the well-being of our society. Yeah, it's a frustrating um time up on Capitol Hill, especially for for women, because there isn't uh, over an overwhelming amount of support for really comprehensive women's health uh, programs, packages, coverage, bills. There's just not a lot of support right now. And, you know, you and I both know that it's because of a lot of misinformation and a lot of, uh, you know, People will link anything having to do with maternal health or women's health with some very, very, very minute, small subset issues and say that, you know, throw it all out, baby in the bathwater, all of it. Which Exactly. Is- and that has actually been a challenge with this bill because there are many uh, representatives and senators who would like to attach to it very controversial Um, items that then um, are really problematic. But it's a huge um, opportunity for uh, women right now to, you know, when when a bill like this is introduced, it's an opportunity for them to plug right into the political system by making one simple phone call, calling your senator's office or your your, um, congressperson's office and say, Hi, I am a citizen. I am a mother. I am a pregnant woman. I am your constituent. I live in your district and I want you to support this bill. And you give the name of the bill and the Senate House, you know, bill number, whatever it is. And that's it. And that's one phone call that is counted to that member of Congress that says, hey, I'm going to vote for you potentially. This is important to me. Listen. And they do. Totally agree, Jean. Thank you for pushing that out. And I I will just repeat the numbers uh, for that purpose. In the House, it's 5457, and in the Senate, it's 2637. Right. I know a lot of women are listening to this saying, you know what, this is just not my problem. But oh, honey, yes, it is. It's your problem. It's your daughter's problem. It's your sister's problem. It's really, we're at this really uh, fascinating point in history where all of a sudden women and the things that we endure and experience uh, is getting a lot of attention. So when a bill like this one comes up, it's an opportunity. Make that phone call. Literally, it's a phone call or an email and it counts. It really does. So, you know, we've been a little bit policy wonky here, Carol, and I'm hoping that our listeners have hung with us. Um, But what I'd like to do right now is sort of paint the picture of if this bill is passed, what would it do for an individual woman? 
Right. Thank you for that. Um, and I, let me start with a part of the bill that we haven't discussed yet, because I think that's also important as well. And that has the potential for very broad reach. And that is there is support for something called quality collaboratives, which are mostly at state levels, working together, bringing, let's say, the public health community, the clinical community, hospitals, key um, health uh, care organizations in the state or other entity together to work on specific quality improvement projects or to work on getting the data uh, in order to be able to uh, collect and share and report information, creating tools and resources. And there are many of these uh, working, uh, they're often called perinatal quality collaboratives or maternal or infant quality collaboratives. So this bill would uh, create new ones where they don't exist, mm -hmm. support also the expansion of existing ones, or support the uh, g more general, broad, broader-focused quality collaboratives to work on maternal and child health projects as well. So this would really have a great potential reach um, throughout the country. And the performance measures that are being um, called out in other parts of the bill would play a key role in um, these quality improvement uh, projects. So for listeners who are right now hanging with us and saying, oh my God, stats and data, this does not matter to me. Again, let me say, oh honey, yes it does. And here's why. You know, um, I'm going to use California as an example, where they started collecting the data, which is simply, you know, numbers associated with specific outcomes about, you know, interventions that happen to a lot of women, about C-section rates, about providers, about hospital systems. And they started looking at all the information. And I think that a lot of women think, well, they're always looking at that information. Well, no, they're not. Most hospital systems are very busy being hospital systems. They're not necessarily looking at the stats and data. So when you have something that is motivating them to do that, like a bill like this could do, then that's when they discover, wow, we've had a lot of maternal deaths in this area caused by this. And that's when you can create very specific change. Am I right? Or am I rambling? You are right. Yeah. Nope, you're right. And I'd like to share with your readers, I I've been um, very involved with the whole movement to measure performance and get the quality measures we need and use them effectively. It's really interesting that the Clinicians, the facilities, the organizations are overwhelmingly good-hearted, wanting to do the right thing and believe that they are. And many of them are shocked when they first get the feedback about their performance vis-a-vis, you know, colleagues or other hospitals in the area or whatever. And that really is a, can be a kind of wake-up call. Yeah. And especially we have a system that increasingly is uh, calling for accountability. Yeah. So we're going to publish your results or we're going to tie them to payment or they affect whether you can be uh, in, a, in a health plan or in a recognition program. So people are paying attention, but until we have good measures that everyone believes in that have been vetted and are trustworthy, 
we're not going to be able to do those kinds of things. Isn't it funny how slow progress can be in this community, in the maternal health industry? And yet we, you know, you and I both go back a long time in this industry. You can, you know, one study can flip standard practices overnight. You know, it's, I, I always end up coming back to the fact that so much of what we do for pregnant women in the hospital or in prenatal care isn't as much about, um, you know, their particular health situation, but it's about making sure that there is medically defensible care, that the healthcare provider, the nurse or the doctor does everything that they're supposed to do according to the books. And sometimes that doesn't line up with what's actually best for mom. Mostly it does. Mostly. But, you know, we're looking at huge gaps in care where women can't even access. They they can't even find a doctor to deliver them within a two-hour drive. And we're looking at populations of women who their specific needs are not being met. And so what's happening is that they're experiencing disparities incredibly out of range with what other women are dealing with, you know? Right. And I would say in the best case as well, I'm very concerned about the standards of practice and the appropriateness of care. We often talk about too much and too little. And instead of what's the sweet spot of just right. So uh, there can be a lot of overuse in women who don't need things. And there's a lot of underuse of recognized effective practices that aren't really routinely implemented. So I think we have a long way to go. And performance measurement is a way to get people's attention and to call out some of these issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's see. Got any stories about why this bill is needed? I, nothing comes to mind right now. I mean, I I did give you the, 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 just the fact that um, people are often very surprised uh, with how they they think they're doing great. They're so committed. They're dedicated. They're yeah. working hard. They're doing everything they're supposed they are, to do. They're very surprised. And also that we have a lot of practice variation. So they're working hard in their local context, but, you know, people a few miles down the road have a different context with different ways of practicing. So we have a lot of unwarranted practice variation that doesn't hit that sweet spot of what is the right thing and what should we be doing for moms and babies. So uh, quality measures have an important role in this, as do quality collaboratives. Yeah, yeah. Well, Carol, this has been a pretty interesting conversation. I am a huge, um, you know, politics geek, and I'm hoping that our listeners hung with us through this. I know it's hard to hear this stuff, but it's really, really important that women know it. They know what's going on on Capitol Hill because it really does impact what's happening in your doctor's office or your midwife's office. So before I switch gears and ask you just a couple of final questions, what else do you want listeners to know? Well, I think that we're coming up to um, May 6th, which is the March for Moms in Washington, D.C., and also um, in many cities throughout the country. And I think that's a great place where people can connect with 
a group of like-minded citizens who care about these issues and want to work together to improve things. And the March for Moms definitely will be helping people um, try to impact policy, build awareness, many things like that. So I would encourage people to go to marchformoms.org website to uh, try to um, connect up with a a group that is working on um, events on Sunday, May 6th. Got it. Um, and let's let's uh, mention the name and the bill numbers of of the uh, bill we've been talking about, so that you know people can call. Just make the call or email. Great. So this is called Quality Care for Moms and Babies Act, and the bill number in the House is five four five seven. The bill number in the Senate is 2637. And it's super, super easy to find out who your members of Congress are. Um, You know, just Google it. It's simple. And all of the contact information is right there. Um, Okay, so let's switch gears real quickly. And let me just ask you a couple final questions that I like to ask everybody who comes on the show. How do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Wow. (laughs) I've been doing this for decades, Jean. (laughs) I know. I'd have a hard time with it, too. It's hard for me to think of my ahas um, here. I mean, I'll just tell you my aha moment in graduate school when I had no idea that the whole healthcare system would not be oriented toward the doing the right thing, providing the best care, reflecting the best evidence, staying up to date with practices. It was really eye-opening to me, and I have a lot of understanding now for our uh, efforts to help educate childbearing women about the fact that they cannot assume that the care that they're about to get is in their best interest, and they need to take personal responsibility for that. Yeah, yeah. So my last question then is this, where are you in your life with motherhood? Other than sort of surrounded by it, right? (laughs) Right. So personally, um, the best, the absolute best part of my entire life, and I love my job, I'm passionate about it, I work really hard, I can't imagine retiring. Uh, But the best part of my life was being the mom of two children who have brought me so much joy. And um, when I travel, I look at other families with great, I don't, I'm not an envious person, but I have a, I just feel very envious that they have that opportunity at that, this point in time to enjoy the sweetness of uh, family life with um, children. So I'm enjoying my adult children. I'm so proud of them and their success. And um, right now, no grandchildren are on the horizon, but that would be great um, at, when, at the right time. Sounds good to me, too, Carol. Well, it's been really fun to talk to you again. And I just know that you and I are going to be on the phone a time or two down the road. Great. I appreciate that. And actually, um, we have two major projects coming up in the next couple of months. So you might consider that, yeah, a a blueprint for advancing high value maternity care 
through physiologic childbearing that was developed by a consensus. It's a consensus document developed by a very wonderful national multi-stakeholder, multidisciplinary group of maternity care leaders. That sounds like a um, whole other episode. (laughs) That would be great. And also um, listening to mothers in California has more really every time we have new exciting questions that are very timely for the environment. And this is the best survey yet. We did sampled from birth certificates and had more resources for reporting than ever before. And we're tying it into the exciting uh, things that are happening in California. So would love to be able to chat with you about that sometime in the future. Sounds good to me, Carol. Okay, we will talk again. Bye-bye. Great. Thanks. Thanks again to our sponsor, PrepDish.com, and head on over to PrepDish.com slash common sense to grab your two-week free trial. Our guest today was Carol Sakala, Director of Childbirth Connection Programs at the National Partnership for Women and Families. The bill we talked about is the Quality Care for Moms and Babies Act. Every Mother Counts is the nonprofit organization I mentioned, and their Mother's Day collection is called the Orange Rose Collection. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner, email me, jean at jeanfaulkner. Send me your questions and comments, and please pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy. It's everywhere. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks, Alex. I also want to mention that we are a member of the Parents on Demand Network, a curated collection of podcasts all about pregnancy and parenting. Another member of our network is the Doing It at Home podcast, hosted by Matthew and Sarah Bivens. Doing It at Home is a show dedicated to empowering stories and resources around home birth. Go find them at diahpodcast.com or over on the Parents on Demand Network. Bye-bye, everybody. We'll talk again next week.